Amen. It's great to see everybody this morning. Uh, great to get into God's Word. I really want to thank Daniel and Stephanie for sharing this morning uh, about their lives. And, you know, it's, it's hard enough to, get, to just get up here in front of a bunch of people, but to do so in your second language, even harder. So I really appreciate you guys uh, sharing vulnerably from your life and leading us to the cross. And uh, we love having you guys here in our ministry And we love our Korean language ministry here in the GLB Church. Very grateful for their faith and their convictions. Um, And it's great to have kind of that that type of language diversity here within the church. Uh, We have our whole college student ministry is missing today because they're down in San Diego for a uh, campus uh, ministries retreat with uh, college ministries from all over the Los Angeles area and San Diego. I believe some Arizona colleges came out as well. I mean, it's a big deal, about 800, 900 students all together in San Diego with no, no adult supervision. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, I, you know, I saw and seen some pictures and I spoke to Greg and it sounds like they're, doing, like they're having a great, great time. Is that Jordan Geo Yang? Oh, hey, I want to introduce to you George and Geo Yang right here. They're from the Westside Church. And they're here hanging out with us today. Uh, George, we were, Marina and I were both in the Westside Church for many, many years. And so we know George and Gio, and uh, we lived in the same neighborhood. And, and now they're, and we knew their kids when they were little, and now they're like adults in, in campus, and it's weird. So <laughs> makes us feel old. Oh, oh, she's right over here. Okay. <laughs> anyway, amen. Sorry, distracting. Um, okay, I got a couple of quick uh, church announcements, and then we're going to dive into God's Word, okay? Uh, number one is next weekend, all of our uh, married couples that have signed up are going to be on a marriage retreat next weekend. Very exciting, very excited about that time. We have, uh, we're going to be at an Indian Wells. Uh, Peter and Laura Garcia, who lead the Lighthouse Church, are going to be our guest speakers. It's going to be a great time to invest uh, energy into our marriages and work into our marriages because marriage is hard work. So we got to work at it. You got, it's not just all spontaneous love. No, it's like, you got to work at it. So, um, we're going to be out. A lot of us are going to be there next weekend. We will have a regular worship gathering here next Sunday, but with no kids kingdom ministry. Okay. So if you're a family or a married couple or a single parent, uh, that's going to be here with children. We're not going to have children's ministry. Uh, if you're a married couple who is not going to be at, uh, attending, uh, unable to attend the marriage retreat, you can still come to church here. Uh, we'll have uh, our worship uh, service here. And I believe uh, one of our campus students, uh, Victor Moreno, is going to be preaching the word next uh, Sunday. So it'll be great. Uh, so that'll be uh, next weekend. Uh, the other announcement I want to provide is in a couple weeks, uh, November 10th, we're going to be starting a new members class on Sundays before church. For about four or five weeks uh, with our elder and his wife, uh, Dick and Anna G, as well as one of our deacons, uh, George and Sarah Matthew, will be coordinating this. And so if you have been baptized or you've been restored back to God and his, and his people here in his church uh, in this year of 2019, we want to ask you to attend this class. It's just a way for uh, you to continue growing and learning uh, spiritually as well as making connections and uh, with other uh, mature disciples in the church. So. Uh, We just want to ask uh, for you to attend that, and that will start on November 10th. Let's pray and get into God's Word. Our Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. You are an awesome God. Help everything that we talk about today to inspire us to move closer to you. We want to be a church 
that moves people towards Christ because we know he is the answer. He is the cornerstone. He is the head of the body. Father, we need Jesus. I pray that we can get closer to him today. In his name we pray. Amen. We're going to continue, we're to continue our series, uh, The Master Storyteller, where we're taking parables of Jesus and using these parables to apply them to our lives, seeing how Jesus used stories to be able to uh, share and provide uh, spiritual truths. And I, I hope that you've been enjoying this so far. And if you've missed a couple here and there, I want to encourage you to go to our podcasts. Uh, you can check out our podcast. It's all updated right now, so you can listen to some of the stuff that we've been talking about. I do want to just say this. Uh, we had an incredible time last Sunday here at our Harvest Fest. It was our largest uh, attendance we've ever had at a, at a Harvest Fest. We had over 515 people here at church last Sunday, and uh, to God's glory. And it was an awesome, awesome time. I want to, yeah, Amen. I really want to thank everybody for serving wholeheartedly and being here early and staying here a little later and just making it special. Uh, it is a, 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 a memory builder, a tradition that we have as a church, and also just an incredible way to reach out to our friends and family and community, a surrounding community. And so it was an awesome, awesome time uh, together, and uh, I hope that you enjoyed it as well. We got in a little bit of trouble because we left some mess there in the gym, but don't worry. We're not going to get detention or anything like that here at the school, so we're good. Um, we've been talking about these parables, and we talked about uh, a few weeks ago evaluating the condition of your heart. You know, what, what, what type of heart do you have when you listen to Jesus' words? We talked about heeding Jesus' call to look at the kingdom of God as a treasure or a poor pearl. We talked about considering how we live our lives here and where we set our priorities in alignment with Jesus' parables about faithfulness in Matthew 24 and 25 and talking about how you use what he's given you and are you prepared, are you ready. Uh, we talked about last week, DK talked about practicing prayer in a humble demeanor, what Jesus looks for. Um, these, principles, these principles that we've been talking about, that they will speak truth and clarity into our lives and help us to stand in awe of Jesus and make changes in our lives if, as he, we do, if we do as he says, which is those who have ears to hear, let them hear. To hear with faith, to listen with humility. It, you won't be able to understand the truths of Jesus and what he's trying to teach through these stories unless, unless you have the level of humility that he's looking for. He hides the truths within these stories, and he knows only if you have this type of humility and this kind of faith will you be even able to understand what I'm trying to communicate to you. When Jesus introduces his kingdom living, you know, living in the kingdom, it's a very upside-down type of mentality. The, the marginalized, the weak, the sick, the poor, the oppressed, the outsider, the foreigner, these are all the heroes of Jesus' stories and interactions. And to his audience at that time, especially probably the leaders of his community, it must have been quite frustrating and unsettling and upsetting to hear this, that every hero in Jesus' parable and story was somebody outside of what you would normally think of would be that hero. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. We're going to read this parable and kind of get into one of these instances where, where, where we see the tension between 
justice and mercy, fairness and unfairness, or our definitions of it, it's quite unsettling. Matthew 20, verse 1. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Well, because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those... Those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. How do you feel when you read something like this? I don't like it. I disagree with Jesus. I want to actually argue with him at this point because it's not fair. This is not right. In my own humanistic way of thinking, the guy who works the longest should get paid the most. And yet Jesus is, in my kingdom, it's actually a little bit different because I get to do what I want. It's my money. And if I want to give the guy who... Got hired last, the same amount as the guy who got hired first. Well, then that's my prerogative because it's my money. This is a story about mercy. This is a story about grace. And if you have ears to hear, you will see what Jesus is trying to say here. Your idea and my idea of fairness and justice and punishment and reward is way different than the way God views justice and righteousness and mercy, punishment and reward. You know, what's interesting about this landowner, he actually starts off the story very generous. That denarius, that one denarius was usually used to pay a, a day's work for a Roman soldier, for example. Like the Roman soldiers had some good living and they got paid one denarius a day. And so to find some random people in the marketplace and to pay them a denarius in that setting was actually a big deal. This was, this was more than a minimum wage for somebody who worked kind of, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get work today or not. This was usually a person found in the marketplace would get paid a fraction of a denarius. So here is this landowner saying, I'm going to give you a denarius. Wow. 
6 a.m. to 6 p.m., I'll take the denarius. I'll take, the, I'll take that. So the guy getting a denarius for working only one hour, that's a big deal. But we already see the character of the landowner. Generous. Generous. These workers are hired at different times of the day. And finally, with that one hour left, he goes out and you see the landowner, what he's doing over and over again. He's not waiting for these guys to come find him. He's going out to find them in the marketplace. And he gives them work. Why are you even standing here all day, he says, doing nothing? We're not doing nothing. We're just nobody hired us. Maybe they're the last ones there. Maybe they were the sick ones. Maybe they're the weak ones. Maybe they're the older ones. I couldn't do the labor all day or whatever the case may be. And he says, okay, well, then you at least come in for one hour. One hour of work. Think about how awesome this landowner is. And Jesus is using this. If we have ears to hear, he's using this to help us understand the nature of God. Jesus' story makes no economic sense, but, but that's his point. Grace cannot be calculated in a day's wage. Grace is free. It's a gift. We, we don't, it's not something you toil to earn. It is of God, and, and it's what he wants to give. And a point that Jesus made clearly at the end of the story when the employer asks, are you envious because I am generous? Are you, King Saul, in the Old Testament, envious because I'm so generous to David? Are you, Pharisees, envious because I opened the gate to Gentiles so late in the game? Are you envious that I'm so generous that I, that I honor the prayer of a tax collector above a Pharisee's? That I accept a thief's last-minute confession and welcome him to paradise? Does this arouse your envy? Are you mad that I leave the obedient flock to seek the stray or that I throw a party for a disrespectful son when he returns? The employer, the landowner, didn't cheat them of a full day's wage. He gave them what he promised he would give them. Wouldn't they just be content that someone kept their promise with their own money? God gives gifts. This is the point of the story. God gives gifts. He gives. He doesn't pay us in wages. But it's difficult for us to understand this and to accept this. Because we live in a state, in a society of fairness or unfairness. Justice or punishment. Is it fair for that murderer to have grace and freedom? Would God accept the rapist as he does the victim... Is anyone beyond forgiveness? And we get this in our heads. That's not fair. That's unjust. How many documentaries, movies have we seen about injustice that gets us upset about our justice system? The unfairness. And we want right and wrong. And it seeps into the church. It seeps into every relationship. And we choose vengeance over forgiveness. We choose death penalty over another chance. This is hard. This is difficult. 
This is difficult to embrace. For me personally, my bent is more towards punishment than it is towards grace. I think over the years, God has taught me over and over again. This is mostly because my, my bent is towards Pharisaism, obedience. I've done all the things on the checklist, so I'm good to go. Why aren't you doing all the things on the checklist? Why isn't that person? Here's the checklist. Do the checklist. You'll be good. It's easy to go that route because you can control that. You can't control grace. Grace is a little messy. It's unsettling. In our human, humanistic mindset, it's, it's unfair at times. Grace bothers us, but it's so natural to God to forgive when undeserved and after causing so much pain to others. This is, that's, to us, that's scandalous. But to God, that's just who he is. I don't know about you, but that bothers me. <laughs> it's unfair. It's not right. It's not, I get this tension in my mind, and, but that's grace. God probably looks at us, and he's as confused as with us. He's probably confused with our confusion. It's like, why, why are you so weirded out about me dispensing my grace that's just who i am that's just how i roll and you're over here trying to argue with me this is the conversations i have in my head that god that i'm here trying to argue with god and yet god would look at me and say reuben what what are you thinking this is my grace i can do whatever i want with it if i want to forgive that person if i want to show grace to that person at the last minute at his deathbed then I'm going to do it. It's my grace. Because, you see, the wages of sin is death. That's what Romans talks about. Romans 6 says, the wages of sin is death. So what I deserve is death. Not even that denarius. You know what I mean? And yet, God says, that's not who I am. There will come a time for that. We talked about that last week. There will come a time for judgment. There will come, come a time where Jesus returns and asks, well, what did you do with what I gave you? There will come a time for that. But in the meantime, I'm going to give everybody a shot to make it. That's just who I am. You know, even some of the miracles that Jesus did seem a bit unfair. You know, there's an interaction that he has with a paralytic at a pool of healing water, and he decides to heal that one par paralyzed guy that we know of. But what about all the rest of them that are at the pool? I'm sure there's a bunch of other paralyzed guys there that need healing. Well, what, what about them, Jesus? What about that guy over there, Jesus? That's not fair, Jesus. And what does the landowner say? Well, are you, are you envious because I'm generous? Is this not my grace to give? Can I not do with my grace what I want to do with my grace? It's unsettling. It's beyond our thinking. It's beyond our ways. I want us today to leave here grasping grace a little bit more. You guys like U2? Bono from U2? Even Bono gets it. Look what he says. He says, 
You see, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or in physics and physical laws, every action is met by an equal or an opposite one. It's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet along comes this idea called grace to upend all that, quote, as you reap, so you will sow, unquote, stuff. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts the consequences. If you love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed, because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. (laughs) Even Bono gets it. Love interrupts, grace shows up, and it defies logic and reason. But it's God's nature. It's above our ways and standards. It's his to dispense of. Why would we be critical? Why would I be critical about his giving of his grace? You guys follow me here today? Jesus Jesus comes full of grace and full of truth. And as he's on the cross, he shows grace to a robber who deserved his punishment. And yet Jesus promises him paradise. This guy on his deathbed is promised that he will be with Christ and Abraham and Moses and Peter and Paul. And and this is grace. Jesus, after the resurrection, you know, before the before he goes to the cross, He tells Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny you even knew me. And and Jesus, after his resurrection, comes in and and he pulls Peter to the side. And Peter, after Peter denies him, Jesus comes in and puts him in charge of the whole church. And says, you're going to have the keys of the kingdom. Feed my sheep. No one was less deserving. And yet Jesus... Because of all of his grace, he is, sees Peter. And sees in Peter what none of us would have seen. Saul of Tarsus, a murderer of Christians, and one who is intentionally and passionately trying to get rid of Jesus' followers and teachers, teachings. Jesus, because he is all grace, chooses him to be his messenger to the Gentile world. I don't know about you, but we can look at this. I can look at this and come to realize one of the most disturbing things about grace and our most human mindset is that grace, grace is not fair the way that we define fairness. I wouldn't have chosen Saul of Tarsus. I would have put him in prison. I wouldn't have chosen Peter. I would have been open with him about how bitter I am about how he just denied me. You see what I'm saying? Grace is so different. It defies logic. defies reason. So what does this mean for you? What does this mean for me? I want to read three verses here about grace that I want us to to help us to apply to our lives. Okay, you guys follow me here? Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too 
may live a new life. Grace is not something to take advantage of. Grace is a motivator to get right with God. For these Christians, they were confused. They were like, well, let me get more grace by sinning more. If I sin more, then grace will increase. And Paul rebukes them and says, by no means, you've died to sin. How can you live in it any longer? Can I have some real talk here with the Christians in the room? You are dead to sin and raised to a new life. How in the world can you live in it any longer? It's a big concern I have for Christians in the church and for myself that how nonchalant we can become about sin and use grace to cover it. It's almost as if we're okay with looking at pornography or continuing to be deceitful or greedy or angry or whatever it is and think, well, grace will cover me so I can do whatever I want. Jesus didn't die so that you would continue in your sin. Let's get honest about it. Listen, I'm all into what we have going on in regards to some of our purity ministry groups and the life of origin, what, how... How you grew up definitely influences how you view the world and how you deal with sin. I understand that and see that. And I'm so thankful for brothers like David Cortez and for Eric Scheffler who are leading this, um, these ministries to help men in the church and out of the church get a grit on sexual addiction. It's hard work. But let me tell the brothers something here. At the end of the day, if you were baptized into the name of Jesus Christ, you died to that sin. You live in it no longer. Don't use the excuse of all these different things going on in your life. Just get real and honest and say, listen, I am a sinner. I've died to my sin. How can you live in it any longer? Get whatever help you need, but I'm just saying. Let's get God's word in here. Let's be honest about what God's word is telling you and me. You're going to get baptized and continue sinning the way you sinned before you got baptized? How can you live in sin? You're dead to sin. Oh, well, God's grace covers me. Yeah? Yeah, God's grace will cover you, but I'm telling you, there's an end and there will be a judgment and you'll have to stand before God. What did you do with my grace? All that grace I gave you, what did you do with it? How did you live your life? With all those times that I said, I love you, I forgive you. What did you do? How did you live your life? By no means. Think about the sinful woman. Jesus has a conversation with this woman who's caught in adultery. And the Pharisees bring her. What should we do with her? They want him to, they're trying to trap Jesus in his action. He says, well, those of you who have, who have not sinned, cast the first stone. He goes back to playing tic-tac-toe on the ground. I don't know what he's doing, but... You know, I think Jesus could have 
Jesus was kind of socially awkward sometimes, I think. You know, oh, yeah, uh, throw the first stone. And just writing over here, like awkward silence, you know what I'm saying? And then everybody leaves. And what's his response to the woman? His response is not, you need to repent. His response is not a rebuke. His response, his response is not prison. His response is not a stoning. His response is not punishment. You need to go confess to all these people. His response is, your sins are forgiven. Now go leave your life of sin. Like, don't do this anymore. Just leave your life of sin. I don't know if she ever went to new members class. I don't know if she ever studied first principles. I don't know if she ever had a discipling partner or was in a small group. I don't know. Jesus probably didn't even know. Well, all he did was, you were about to die at the hand of sinful men. And me, a sinless man, told you to go leave your life of sin. You would want to assume and think, man, this woman, it changed her life. Let's not be nonchalant about sin in our lives. Amen, church? Let's get honest here about what Scripture says. Yes, let's deal with some of the intricacies and the difficulties and the, you know, the different things that, you know, I'm all about that. Yes, we've got to deal with some of these deeper-rooted issues in our lives. But at the end of the day, sin is still sin. And if you were baptized into the name of Jesus Christ, you are dead to sin and alive in Christ. I don't know. I think every Christian in here should be like, amen. Can I get an amen from every Christian in this room? Titus chapter 2, another, another verse, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. This grace that, Jesus, that Paul is talking about to his, his apprentice here, Titus, he's saying, make sure you tell the church this, that the grace, this grace that, that God has appeared, that has offered a salvation to all people, this grace is teaching us. It's training us. When we're humble, we can see that his grace instructs us and trains us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, but to say yes to self-control to godly living. This grace trains us to live self-controlled lives because when you see how your sin has affected your life, you don't ever want to go there again, especially if you see how your sin affects other people. When you see the consequences of your addiction, the consequences of your emotional distancing and relationships, your lack of giving forgiveness, your greed, your arrogance, and thinking how you know better, and so you can't work with others, and others don't want to work with you. When you begin to realize the trail of pain and shame caused by fear and sin, God's undeserved and unearned favor shows up and trains you, teaches you, to never go back there again. Sometimes we think grace and works are two separate things. But when you hurt someone in relationship and the damage is deep and you come and ask for their grace, you're indebted to them. 
and they give you that grace, you're in debt to them, and, you, and it makes you want to do everything, something, something, everything, whatever the case, for that person. How much more than God? You're forgiven. Here's my grace. It says here, as this, it says here that it, it prepares a people, purifies for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And another, in the English Standard Version, which is a little bit closer to the Greek, uh, the original Greek written here, it says, zealous to do good works. Think about your zeal to do good works. Is your, do you have zeal to do good works? To help, to serve, to wash some feet? We got some stanky feet in the church. Are you willing to get in there and wash some feet? Zealous. His grace, unearned, undeserved favor, informs our perspective and should lead us to be eager or zealous for good works. I'm going to say no to ungodliness. I'm going to say yes to self-controlled living. I'm going to say no. God's grace, his, his favor is going to inform me and teach me to say no to selfish living and to say yes to giving of myself to others, to washing feet, to loving one another as he has loved me. I'm going to say no to sleeping in on a Sunday morning and say yes to coming here early to help out Eddie with the sound equipment. Or to stay late to help with the rolling up of the cords or whatever the case may be. I'm going to say no to what I feel like I need in the moment and say yes to say, wow, there's a great need. There's a great need in this pocket of the church or in that small group or in this person's life. Let me deny myself and go pray with this person. Or go have a tough conversation with this person. Or just commit to walking with this person for the next few months so that I can help them strengthen them in their faith. See, God's grace informs us, teaches us, trains us. But do you have ears to hear what the Lord is trying to tell you? You guys follow me here? Lastly, Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as who? As the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Too many relationships inside the church, let alone outside, are viewed through the lens of revenge, justice, quid pro quo, mistrust. And as Jesus comes along, he gives his people a new way. The way of grace. The way of forgiveness. Grace changes relationships because the focus becomes God and what he has done for us and in us. And so the calling to forgive as the Lord forgave you, that's now the new standard. Too many Christians stay stuck in their faith because of not being able to forgive. You forgive with words, but not in your hearts. 
Forgiveness doesn't mean there's no healing or a need of distancing within relationships at times. Forgiveness means that you are aware of what God has done for you and are willing and able to extend that same type of grace and forgiveness to someone else. But I, I, it shocks me how many people claim to be Christians, disciples of Jesus, and yet can't forgive that leader that offended them 20 years ago. Or have a hard time forgiving that discipling partner they had five years ago. Yeah, they were too, they were too harsh with me. They were just mean people. Well, you know, at one point in your life, you were mean too. So can you just forgive as the Lord has forgiven you? I say this all, I say this all the time with my wife just to like get away with stuff. I say, honey... Honey, to know me is to forgive me, honey. To know me is to forgive me. You know, I'll do that with her just to get away with, like, stupid stuff, you know. And, uh, but, but in reality, think about that. Think about your life. Think about our lives with each other. As we love one another, out of rever- you know, as we love one another as Christ has loved us. Think about your life. It's not to know you, to forgive you. Think about all the, all the ways that you have messed up relationships in your past. Think about all the ways that you have caused division or you have have distanced yourself or you have not been loving or not been. Think about all that is not to know you to forgive you. As it is to forgive me, should this not be a group that just is constantly forgiving one another, asking for forgiveness, giving forgiveness? That is that is a church of grace and graciousness. I forgive you. For what? I don't know. I just forgive you. Do you forgive me? Because I know I I may not need it now, but I'm going to need it. Because I'm going to say something dumb. I think I'm funny sometimes. But I'm really not. It backfires. You know, and then you get an attitude with me. And then five months later, you come and say, you know, I've had an attitude for the past five months because you, like, said something dumb to me. I'll be like, well... Please forgive me. Can we not wait for five months now, though? Can we just kind of do that, like, in the moment or, like, the next day or, or something like that, please? I beg you. Let's do that with each other. Hey, you offended me. You hurt me. You didn't give me a hug. You didn't, you know, whatever. I, but I forgive you. It may sound prideful to say I forgive you to somebody when they don't ask for forgiveness. But can I just say, man, can we just dispense grace to one another? Is that not the church? Is not the church supposed to be in the world dispensing grace? Why is the reputation of the Christian in the world that of one who is super judgmental? Even Kanye West talked about it in his little album that he just made. I'm not going to get into all, all the intricacies of that whole situation. But he has this one song, and I listened to it, and I was like, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, the musician, I'm not going to get into it. But... He goes off about the Christians judging him. Why is his, and he speaks for a lot of people for some reason, and he says, Christians are judging me. Why is that the reputation of a Christian? Should not the Christian be the most forgiving, the most gracious, the most long-suffering, because of the knowledge that I've been forgiven, I've been 
given grace. I've been given another chance. Should not the church be just a bunch of Jesus followers dispensing grace everywhere we go? Either I forgive you or I'm sorry. I love you. Let's pray together. Let's work this out together, whatever the case may be. You know, being a parent teaches you a lot about grace. Because your kids mess up all the time, but you still love them. My son, five-year-old son, Jonathan, he, he sometimes comes into my bed at night to sleep with his mom and dad. Mostly because his sister comes in, his three-year-old sister comes in. And I'm at this point where I'm like, you know what? They're not going to do this forever. So let me snuggle up on these guys, you know? I love me some snuggles. So, but it's always by faith. Because you see, Jonathan, Jonathan has a, 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 some bladder issues. And so we're trying to train him to not pee in the bed. And he's doing great. He's doing great with it. And then all of a sudden, this past week, he comes into my bed and he pees in my bed. And not only does he pee in my bed, but it, it, we have a cover, a thick cover, so it won't, but it seeps through the cover and on the mattress. I wanted to ground him. I wanted to punish him. My bent was towards punishment and judgment and justice. But that's my boy, man. Guess what he did the next night? I let him come sleep in my bed again. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's my boy. That's my kid. Now, Maria's, Maria's out of town right, right now this weekend, so I have uh, my kids are at, at my parents' house right now, but then... Uh, anyway, we have some army strategery going on this, this afternoon because I'm doing a wedding tonight. Uh, our brother Ivan Balcazar and Adesha Black are getting married th- uh, this evening. So, um, you know, it's awesome. Amen. Praise God. And, um, and so anyway, my, my three younger ones stayed uh, with my parents yesterday. And then my oldest, Bella, came home with me today, uh, last night. So what did Bella and I do at 10 o'clock last night? I took her to Rite Aid to get some thrifty ice cream. Because why not? She doesn't have, I mean, she did nothing to deserve it. She, doesn't, she, she ain't got straight A's right now or like, I mean, she, she's, I just love Bella. And I just wanted to take her to get some thrifty ice cream. Now I had to get something else at the store, but I got her some thrifty ice cream. <laughs> and she was loving it. Why? Because as a dad, you just, you just love your kids. You just do stuff like that. There's no reason. Is that not how God is with you and with me? He's looking at you, and you're, you're his son. You're his daughter. You're going to pee in his bed a couple times. And he's going to let you come back in and sleep, and sleep in his bed again. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're going to do nothing worthwhile of his, of his attention and he's going to come and take you out to get some ice cream or get a burger. Just because he loves, that's his nature. That's how God is with us. Okay, your move.
I've been doing this with every parable. Evaluate. Am I okay with God having grace with someone in the last minute or hour of their life? Does grace motivate me to pursue my relationship with God? Am I truly understanding of my need for His grace in my life? In other words, evaluate your understanding of God's grace in your life. Here. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. What is Jesus telling me through this parable? Am I, am I humbling myself to hear his voice and the calling to understand the nature of God and his kingdom? Is there something different I need to perceive when it comes to my approach to dealing with sin in my life or sin in others' lives? If you're far away from God, if you're outside of the faith, if you're coming here because you're just trying to figure out your own faith, if you're uh, you know, trying to figure out if, I, if I'm... I don't know if I need to be uh, baptized or if I need to be restored back to his fellow. I don't know. Let me hear what God is trying to tell you. Some of you in here are fighting God instead of surrendering and saying, amen, God, I'm in. Whatever it takes. Because you've forgiven me. You want the best for me. I'll jump into the waters of baptism. I'll have that tough conversation that's challenging me with God's word, with your word. I'll get open with my life. Hear what the Lord is trying to tell you and make a decision. Decide. Decide to be a grace dispenser. Decide to study the Bible and understand how God's grace can transform your life. Decide to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sin. Decide to allow God's grace to teach you to say no to ungodliness. I wanted to close out this time and I'm going to say a prayer at the end. But I want us to watch uh, uh, just a music video. It's a song that, that has been uh, resonating in my heart recently. That I want us to listen to and read the words of it. It's a very simple song. And I want to have the ushers close the doors there and, and kind of dim the lights a little bit. I want us to close out meditating on the words of this song. And the chorus, it says, you know, uh, the writers write, they say, I, I am a sinner. If it's not one thing, it's another. Trapped in my words, tangled in lies. And then it says, but, but you are a savior. And you take brokenness, you take my broken state, you take brokenness aside and you make it beautiful. Is that not God's grace? He takes brokenness aside and he makes that beautiful. Let's listen to this and then we're going to close out in prayer and be dismissed.
Let's all stand together. We're going to close out with a prayer and be dismissed. If we can go ahead and bridge the aisles, let's get arm in arm together as a family and, and say a prayer as we close out today. Our Father in heaven, we come before you uh, this morning uh, thankful for what you've called us, who you've called us to be. Father, it is, it, there's a tension in our hearts regarding justice and fairness, mercy and grace, punishment, reward. That we would be envious because you're so generous, God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us this parable to help us understand your nature, your way. I ask specifically that you would, that your grace would teach us this week to say no to ungodliness, but say yes to self-controlled living. I ask, Father, that your grace this week would remind us, if we've been baptized into Christ, that we are dead to sin. Why would we live in it any longer? And it will lead us to repentance, continual repentance. Father, with all my heart, I pray that your grace would heal relationships as we forgive one another, as we assume the best in each other, as we love one another as you've loved us. Thank you for taking our brokenness and putting it aside and making it beautiful. I love that idea, Father, that, that you, a God full of grace, full of truth, beyond our comprehension, beyond our understanding, would take our brokenness and make it into something amazing to your glory. Help us to be zealous and eager to do good works because and only because of your incredible, unearned favor. We love you. We put, I put the church, your people, before you, Lord. Please use us to dispense grace this week at our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, at school. Help us to walk in your spirit and in your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. The church says Amen. we're dismissed. Let's have a great Sunday. Amen.